Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Liberty and the Law, the podcast series that examines the critical elements of a strong legal defense in criminal cases. Join respected attorney James Dore for this lively discussion on the rights of criminal defendants and the important role defense attorneys play in our legal system. As we have discussed many times in the past on Liberty and the Law, the U.S. Constitution provides various protections for citizens in the judicial system. Among those are certain rights or expectations about how law enforcement may interact with individuals uh, under different conditions and circumstances. Uh, Hi, everybody. This is uh, Jim Mitchell. And today, Lavelle Law Defense Attorney James Doerr will discuss some appellate court decisions related to the Fourth Amendment and give some views on uh, cases involving uh, that uh, protection that it does or should provide. So first of all, uh, James, good afternoon. Welcome back. Well, thank you, Jim. It's great to be back on, and uh, it's nice to be talking about the Fourth Amendment again. It's uh, We can't cover this topic uh, too much, in my opinion, so let's, let's well, get into it. And I'm, I'm glad you said that, because I know I know you love to talk about the Constitution and what it means. And, and I, as I was working on this today, the first thought I had is that I, I find it so interesting that more than two centuries after the Constitution was written, we're still trying to interpret it in the courts. On the other hand, it seems amazing that a document has prevailed in the judicial system for that period of time. So, you know, as an attorney, you know, how do you rely on, on the Constitution as a basis for defending your clients and the value it provides? Well, I think it's excellent how you, how you pointed that out, Jim. And it, it, it is amazing what the Constitution has, has done for us and that the document has lasted this long, a founding document, and it's still governing authority. And, uh, you know, ultimately as a lawyer, you know, it, it does the, is, the question is, is this, is this constitutional? That comes up a lot in, in the criminal courts especially. Um, and it, it's something that uh, on a daily basis uh, judges look at and ask that very same question. So it's a document, it's a founding document that, um, you know, uh, outlines the, the parameters of government, um, and it also limits that same government. So the, the same rulings that we're looking at here today, they're, they're prescribing a, a police officer's actions in the street and whether or not those actions were constitutional. So it gets you know, right down to police-citizen encounters on the street. And, and it's, I'm glad you said that. We're going to talk, as you said, a lot about cases involving citizens on the street or in the public. Before we go there, as we look at some of these recent cases, you know, in your view, your interpretation, do citizens have the assumption of privacy in their own homes when it comes to law enforcement activity? Is that provided for as, as you see it? And yes, and I'd say that would be the, the greatest level of, of privacy would be extended to our own homes. Um, and then as we venture out in public, we have a diminishing expectation of privacy. So less privacy expectations in your car as compared to your home, and then less mm-hmm. when, say, you're walking down the street. So... Um, yeah, the, the, the setting is important in interpreting constitutional law and the rights that we have and the, and the limits on, on uh, government authority. Well, there's a recent case uh, in the Appellate Court of Illinois, 1st District, uh, People versus Flunder. And in this one, a, a defendant was first found guilty of unlawful use of a weapon by the trial courts, later had that finding reversed on appeal. And, and in the case, Mr. Flunder was approached by police while filling his car at a gas station. And it seems that the question raised is what rights did that defendant have to assume privacy while, while at a gas station? The state can, can claim that the interrogation was consensual. 
Um, what can you tell us about the different types of interaction between police and citizens? Right. Well, in this case, the uh, there's there's um, different tiers of uh, uh, when the constitution when the courts look at this. There's different uh, um, uh, tiers of, of citizen police encounter. Uh, one would be arrests that are supported by probable cause. Uh, second would be what we know as Terry stops, where there's a brief detention and encounter, and um, the police can, with reasonable and articulable suspicion, uh, do a search as long as it, it's supported by that evidence and it's reasonable. And then another third, a third category would be consensual encounters. So, say um, an officer, you meet an officer on the street and he's selling tickets to the policeman's ball. Now. He can ask you, hey, would you like to buy a ticket? Now, that's a consensual encounter, right? But he, mm -hmm. he can't use that as a, as, a, as a basis to, say, search you. So there's voluntary encounters that, you know, it, that um, don't really require anything because they're not, uh, you know, the police officer isn't necessarily engaged in an investigation. It's just, you know, people meeting on the street, so to say. So in this okay. case here, this this Flunder case, which I love the name of the case, Telly Flunder, which is a, a great name. Hopefully, uh, I'll remember this one years from now. But this is a, this is a good case, um, and the prosecutors tried to uh, sell the argument that this was a, a, a voluntary encounter and frisk. So they combined two mm -hmm. of the categories and trying to somehow make the argument that this man who's minding his own business at his ga at a gas pump. Um, and these police officers, they, they pull up to him, they ask him, ask him what his business is, and the officer decides to walk around the vehicle to get closer to this man and creates a situation that then the officer said, well, I feared for my safety, I had to frisk this man. Well, you know, the court eventually said, no, you, you created this situation, and there's no such thing as a voluntary encounter and, and frisk, no such thing. And and ultimately, the the court, uh, the appellate court, found uh, for the defendant in that case and, and upheld their right. And again, that that was a it falls under the Fourth Amendment in, in your view. Right. Eventually, the, the the gun was suppressed. So I think the way it originally worked, the, the trial court uh, found in favor of the defendant in the motion to suppress evidence. And then later on, the prosecutors had a motion to reconsider. Then they reversed themselves, found the mm -hmm. guy guilty at a later bench trial, and he was sentenced to six years, Department of Corrections. So. This is this is a serious event in this man's life. It's six years of his freedom taken away, and ultimately the court ruled that the search was unlawful, and the evidence, the gun in this case, had to be suppressed. So it can't be used as evidence against him. Um, and you know, eventually, you know, so then the case was was reversed. Now it's interesting that that took place in a gas station. We're going to stay actually in that particular location, not that gas station, but a gas station. As we look at a, another one, which was also in the first district in Illinois, People versus Brown. And in this case, police again driving through a neighborhood see a Mr. Brown with others uh, on the property of a gas station drinking beer. Uh, and the police cite a Chicago ordinance about drinking in a public way. And then by encountering Mr. Brown and charging him at that, they find uh, uh, other things in his possession that lead to further charges. Um, ultimately, it was found in appeal that uh, the intent of the ordinance didn't include commercial property such as a gas station. What, what do you know, first of all, about either the Chicago ordinance or ordinances like it that define or mention a public way? Right. In this case, there is a specific Chicago uh, municipal code uh, ordinance and it prohibits drinking on a public way. And then it goes on in that ordinance uh, it, where they have a definition se uh, section to define a public way as 
uh, any sidewalk, street, alley, highway, or other public thoroughfare. So it was defined. And the court here was able to look at it and say, okay, um, it is a public way defined here in, in, the, in the case at bar. Well, they know it's not a sidewalk, a street, or an alley, or a highway. That's all been um, mm-hmm. clear. So the only issue was whether, the, whether this private parking lot was a public thoroughfare. And ultimately, the court uh, ruled that it wasn't. And, I, and I, again, these, these cases are important because, you know, we're talking about people's privacy interests and, and um, prohibiting certain conduct on the part of police officers in, in conducting these searches. Um, in the last case, it was an important quote. I wanted, wanted to get to this, Jim, before we left that case in the, in the, mm-hmm. um, in the Flunder case. The Flunder, and the, the Flunder court, yeah. Yeah, and, and the court stated there that the Fourth Amendment is a blunt-edged sword, but it protects the privacy of us all, both the ones with contraband and the ones without it. So that's how the court views this. Mm. This isn't just suppressing evidence of crimes and protecting criminals. This is this is uh, protecting the privacy of all of us, and that's how the court rules this and why these decisions are so important. Um, so again, going back to this other case, is public way. Fine, initially involved only you know, drinking of a beer in public, but it, it ultimately because of the search involved, you know, again, a man minding his own business. Is, is, was arrested for a class four felony because he had possession of a one ecstasy pill. He had a single pill in his pocket, and so he, he goes from a, an ordinance violation to a class four felony. That's serious, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know they were trying to to, to uh, get some wiggle room for the officer here, saying that there was a mistake of law, you know, or a mistake in belief in what the law was. And the court ultimately ruled no, and it wasn't reasonable. The the, the uh, ordinances are defined. Um, you know, the words have common meanings, and, and the public way this certainly wasn't considered a, a public way. Um, so it, 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 you know, that's how they interpreted it, just a local statute, yeah. but they used the, the common language. They didn't have to reach for, you know, a, a way out of this thing. Well, and that was real interesting, too, as you mentioned in, that, in the Brown case, that, you know, in the appeal, the state acknowledges that the police officer was in error by considering the gas station to be in the public way, but said, well, you know, it's a fair mistake. You know, that's that's what commonly people would think, so we, you know, we think it's okay. And that certainly seems to be a stretch in, in one of those things that the Fourth Amendment would protect is uh, just generalization by law enforcement. Agreed, agreed. And they, and they also ruled that you know, when they're breaking down the, the types of, of uh, criminal fences out there, um, you know, it's lawful to drink beer, and it's lawful to drink beer in private property. So it wasn't something that uh, on its face was an unlawful activity. You know, so they, that was something that they had to you know, balance in, in assessing whether the officer's actions were reasonable. Well, that balancing is an important uh, aspect of these appellate cases in particular, and uh, that's why they, they give us such great conversations. Now, um, I know you, we've got another one that's currently happening, so we won't dig too deep into it, but... Uh, you're involved with a case that involves a, a driver pulling into his own property, his driveway and garage, and, and then having the police sort of pull up after he's pulled into his property. Um, you know, you talked about those various stages of, you know, in your home, uh, in your car, uh, in, in public places. Um, I guess every once in a while there's that instance of transition from one to the other, and that certainly leads to some, you know, murky waters i would assume and and how you disturb or determine you know where someone really is when they're when they're first uh, approached by the police absolutely and then what i pointed out here that the, our own homes uh, deserve the greatest amount of protection 
So I want to. That, that, that's something that I think is paramount in this case. So, you know, state attorneys may want us to balance the interests of the officer, the view of the officer. Okay, fine. But what about the interests of the public? And just like, like we talked about in that Flunder case, that that, that blunt edged sword. You know, I, I I want the clear mark to be. You cannot come in this house. That's the threshold of the house. This is the line. This is a clear line. And, you know, the motorist, you know, this is not just a motorist on the street. This is a situation with a homeowner. So this is a, mm-hmm. this is a resident, a homeowner. And, you know, I, in my view, uh, an officer cannot come onto that property without a warrant. Yeah, and, and I'm glad, again, you mentioned a warrant because that would have been where I would have led next, which is uh, we certainly respect the right that if law enforcement has reasonable cause and can, can find um, the opportunity to present to a judge and get a warrant, that that's a different circumstance, and the law provides for that. But it's Oh, absolutely, Jim, and in, in a lot right. of these cases, so it'll, it'll be pointed out. Uh, we have to lay, when we're, when we're actually conducting these hearings, you have to make it clear that there was no warrant out for, for somebody's arrest because mm-hmm. then, you know, the officer's actions would be reasonable right there, executing the warrant. So it, it's one of those things you kind of, you know, along with everything else, you want to make sure you ask the question that you didn't have the warrant for his arrest or anything like yeah. that because that, that could change the scenario. Yes, and it's true. With both Plunder and Brown, there, there were no warrants. There was nothing outstanding about these, these people. There was nothing that uh, they had done that uh, uh, would have given cause for that. So uh, let's wrap up here. James, before I let you go, Fourth Amendment and, and what it stands for, um, certainly, as we said, it's it's always an element in many of these cases, but it's one that probably needs to prevail and, and one that, um, you know, everyone needs to be aware of in, in all of these cases. Uh, agreed, Jim. Agreed. <laughs> no no argument there. Let's, let's wrap up. <laughs> James Dore has been, has been the guest with us, as always. Thanks, James, for being here. Uh, Lavelle Law. You know, I didn't mention the website, um, lavellelaw.com, great place to go. You can meet James uh, in terms of uh, getting an understanding of his background, hear some of our podcasts, see his videos. He uh, produces some of those on a number of topics as well and writes uh, numerous articles. So uh, lavellelaw.com, and then if you want to give uh, James a call, 847-705-7555. Always appreciate his time. Always appreciate all of you listening. We'll look forward to talking to you again next month.